Lord, lift up all of the people that have experienced the devastation of Hurricane Dorian, from the people of the Bahamas, the people of North Carolina, and everything in between. Lord, the fall of your creation is so evident. Lord, as we honor those that serve, they understand that the fall is real. They see the effects of sin every day. And so, Lord, I pray as we look at your word this morning that you may be glorified, that we may find the hope of you and your salvation. Lord, we know that this fall, the sinful world that we live in is a part of the story, but it's not the end of the story. Lord, thank you for your redemption and thank you for the hope of you coming again. And so we are gathered here uniquely in all of history. We are particular people at the singular time and place. Lord, I pray you would accomplish your purposes among us. Tune our hearts to the voice of your spirit. Wake us to be present to you and to one another in the shared hour, in the shared hour that we're given. For it is you, O oh Lord, who have gathered us from various places, and you alone know what our hearts need. Lord, some of us arrive here anxious. Some are lonely. Some suffer pain and sorrow. Lord, I pray that our joys would find grace to enter the sorrows of others. Lord, some people here arrive rejoicing, hearts made light by good news, good health, glad anticipation. May we in our sorrows find grace to embrace the joy of others. Let us prize these moments of gathering together and care for one another deeply, for each of us and our relationships to one another are precious and fleeting. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Our purpose is going to come up on the screen. If you would say this purpose with me, it's to reach and transform people by the power of the gospel in biblical community. We've been going through a, a series called The One Story of the Bible. We took the first three weeks and we looked at creation. And if you're interested about what God's word says about creation, you missed those messages, you can go on our website, goodnewsloves.com, and you can find all the messages there. And last week, we started looking at the fall, uh, looking at how sin has affected our world, and we're continuing to look at that this week. And it is a good week to look at it as we honor our local heroes, because all of you that stood up as our local heroes, you know that there's sin in the world. I don't have to convince you guys, right? I don't have to convince you girls, right? You see it all the time. Uh, part of the reasons why you have the callings that you do is because of the sin in the world. And so the first chapter of the story is creation. And then the second chapter is the fall, and uh, we're going to jump right into our scripture. This is in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 18 through 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was sub subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes in what he already who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And so we have the 
the first story of creation, then we have the second part of the story, the second chapter, uh, which is the fall. And I need a little help. We've been asking uh, people questions through this series, so I need a little help from someone. I'm just going to ask you. Uh, I'm just going to ask you one question, maybe two questions. Can anybody help me with that? You guys are all scared, all right? Anybody? Anybody's going to do it? Come on, someone's brave. Someone's brave. My son Luke. All right, Luke, come on up here. You got is this mic? Can we turn this mic on? Okay, good. All right, Luke, way to go, buddy. You step up. All right, Luke, where is your favorite place to go on vacation? Legoland. Legoland. All right. All right. Now a little bit more difficult question. What do you think is wrong with the world? Um, I don't get Legos every day. <laughs> All right. Good job. Y'all give it up for Luke. <laughs> Can you tell he likes Legos? See, it's, it's easy to ask the questions. There's no wrong answer to the question. And that's what uh, we're challenging you to do this week. As we look at the point, the fall wrecks everything. We're asking you to just ask people, as you're talking with people, just ask them, what's, what's wrong with the world? I mean, it's an easy thing to, to, to talk about as people see all kinds of suffering and, and heartache around the world. Ask them, what's What's wrong with the world? And be prepared to give your answer. And that's part of the reason why we're doing this series, is so you understand the one story of the gospel, that you understand the story of the Bible, that there's creation, there's fall, but we're not stuck in this fall, we're not stuck in our sin forever, that there's redemption, and that's chapter 3 of the story, we're going to start talking about that next week. And then chapter 4 is consummation, that Christ is going to come again, and he's going to redeem all things for the rest of of eternity. So that's one of the goals of the series is so that you can understand it and you can be able to share with your friends and neighbors and enemies and whoever else you want to share with about the story of the Bible and also to spur on gospel conversations that you would ask questions like what's wrong with the world and see what people have to say. There's no wrong answer. So let them answer and then hopefully it'll spur into a conversation about what you understand is wrong uh, with the world. So what we've seen last week in Genesis 3 is that the fall wrecked everything. We see here in Romans the effects of the fall, and we see it all around us, don't we? See, that first fall, that first choice by Adam and Eve was cosmic rebellion. When they rebelled against God, everything changed. And as we talked last week, many people wonder, well, why did God even give them a choice to sin against him? Well, he gave them a choice because he wanted a real relationship. He didn't want them to be puppets, to be forced to, to, to love him. There needed to be a choice. And very quickly, after God's perfect creation, when he said everything was very good, very quickly, Adam and Eve fell into that sin. And we've been dealing with the effects of sin ever since then. And some of you right now, you're in really tough spots in your life. And some of you have experienced tough things. And some of you are going to experience tough things. And you get to experience what it's like to live in a fallen world. See, all of us, in one way or another, have experienced what it's like to live in sin have experienced what it's like to live in the fall, the cosmic rebellion against God, and it affects everything, doesn't it? It affects the, the way that we think. See, we're not, we're not just content with drifting away from God. No, like I shared last week, we have punched God in the face with our sin. 
that we constantly go against God's word. We constantly go against what he has told us. And that has caused a greater and greater rift between us and God. All of us at some point or another, if it's me, this happens all the time in my life. I say, hey, I'm the captain of my ship. That God, you're not even the co-pilot. Just get out of here. I'm going to be the one that drives it. I know what's best for me. This is the result of sin. And the aftermath of that act of sin has caused so much heartache and hardship in our world. Sin wrecked everything. Now, I have a a funny example here because we're going to talk about sin for 30 minutes. We need to laugh a little bit, right? So here's 45 seconds of how sin has affected our world in a funny way. So here's that video. You put that in your heart. Okay, I'm not, the last two are probably not even sin. That's just being idiotic, right? They're just, 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 just dumb. But sin affects things like that. And then it has affected our world in deeply serious ways, too. And you think about the drug abuse that is rampant in our world, and many people have been affected by, by that in, in, in our church. You think about the, the abuse that's happened. You think about the Holocaust. What an atrocity happened because of sin entering our world. You think of abortion. You think of what happened at Chernobyl. You think of what happened at recently with the Hurricane Dorian. We live in a sinful world. We live with the results of the fall, the aftermath of the act of Adam and Eve that brought sin into the world has caused groanings all around, right? It, it, affects, it affects the animals, it affects us, it affects the creation, it affects everything. And we look at those pictures and we see those atrocities, and this is just a, obviously just a small sample. I know sometimes I think, Adam and Eve, you blew it. You messed up. Thanks a lot. Look at all the stuff that's happened. But I'm quickly convicted. I'm quickly convicted that if it wasn't Adam and Eve, it would have been me. And it, it would have been you. If any of us were in that situation that Adam and Eve were in, we would have all done the exact same thing. Now, I can already hear some of you, some of you that tend to be a little bit more religious. Not me, Pastor Andy. You don't know me. I wouldn't have done what Adam and Eve did. I got my life together a lot better than that. Well, let's just take a little test this morning. God gave us some commandments to follow. See how we're doing. You shall have no other gods before me. You ever put anything before God? Ever? Second one, no, no idols. Is there ever anything in your life that you think about a little bit more than God, that you value more than God? Ever? Never take the Lord's name in vain. How many of you have a driver's license? 
You have all done it. You have all done it. If it hasn't come out of your mouth, you've had it in your head, right? <laughs> Thank you for being honest, Luke. He does. He has a four-wheeler. You know, the thing about my kids, the thing about my kids is they're so shy. I wish they would just come out of their, out of their shell. How about keeping the Sabbath day holy? Some of you guys are driven, right? It's the American way. It, Pastor, this is how I've gotten, gotten uh, advanced in the world. This is how I've made my money. I'm working, 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 working all the time. Never take any rest. About the fifth one, honor your father and mother. Students, how are you doing with that one? You know, listen, yeah, you see my son's silent on that one. Uh, see, see we, we struggle with that, with that too. The sixth one, do not murder. You got one, right? Most of you. <laughs> Except Jesus says, if you call a man a jerk, if you call him Raka, then you've committed murder against him in your heart. Oh. How are you guys doing? I'm 0 for 6. I'm not doing well here at all. Number 7, you should not commit adultery. Some of you are thinking, well, I've got, I've got that one covered, but it says if you even have a lustful thought, Jesus says, then you've committed adultery in your heart. Do not steal. Number eight, how, how about that one? And some of you think, well, I've never stolen anything. Really? You've never been at work and checked social media a little bit, stealing your boss's time, showed up late for a meeting, stealing somebody else's time, taking some supplies that you probably shouldn't have from the office or from school? <sighs> Ninth one, do not bear false witness. You ever tell a little white lie? Ever? Number 10, do not covet. Every time a Jeep Wrangler drives by, my heart explodes with covetedness. I don't know about you, but I am 0 for 10. 0 for 10 with falling those perfectly. There are sometimes the grace of God captures my heart, and I'm able to fall some of them some of the times, but I'm 0 for 10 falling it perfectly. I know I would have fallen into sin just like Adam and Eve did. But thankfully for us, we have a seeking and saving Savior. Thankful for us, he didn't leave us in our sin and in our despair. Jesus came on this earth as God in the flesh because he saw us in our sin and our suffering. And he died on the cross and took all the ways that we failed with those commandments, all those ways and many more ways that we failed and put him uh, put it on the cross as he was hanging there. He took it all on him, and he defeated death, and he rose from the dead victorious. So when we believe in him, we get his righteousness. We're not stuck in our sin. I mean, is that good news or what? We're not stuck in all the ways that we fail. Yes, we can clap for that. We should clap for that because all the ways that I just said that we all fall short in our commandments, in, our, in the ways that we, that we act, in the ways that we think, we would be stuck in that if it wasn't for Jesus. But he's given us his righteousness. So if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, won't you do that? Won't you put your faith in him? Do you want to be stuck in your sin? Or do you want to have the redemption of Christ? You can do that right in your seat right now. You can say, God, I've sinned, I've messed up, and I want to trust in you. If you need help with that, come and see one of the elders or come and see one of the people on the prayer team after the service. We'd love to help you do that. We'd love to help you start a relationship with Jesus. G.K. Chesterton said, if you ask a religious person, are you a Christian, they act offended. 
Yeah, of course I'm a Christian. But if you ask someone that is a humble believer in Christ, you ask them if they're a Christian, they just laugh. They laugh because they realize how ludicrous it is that we are saved by grace that's not of any of our own action, that we're saved by him and that we're the lowest rebels that there are. But we get to be called a child of God. And they just laugh at the thought of that. It just brings unbelievable joy, even in the midst of pain. As we look through the scripture that I read in the beginning, we get to see how God works uh, through even the most difficult things. First couple verses here, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Man, that's an amazing truth right there. It says that the present suffering is not even worth comparing to the glory. Some of you have suffered a great deal. And if you haven't experienced suffering, you know someone that has uh, experienced suffering over a, a period of time. And if you haven't had anyone around you that's suffered, then you've certainly seen it in our world how great some of that suffering is. Look at some of the examples that I share. The suffering is great, but the scripture says that the glory that's going to be revealed to us in the redemption, the consummation of Christ, that we get to spend all eternity with him, is not even worth comparing it. It's that glorious. It's that amazing. If you go back a couple verses before that, it says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we must also share in his glory. So in the ways that we're suffering, we get to understand a little bit like Christ's suffering. And in his glory, we're also going to get to experience his glory because of what he's done on the cross. The author and pastor, um, F.B. Meyer, said in his book about Isaiah, he said, if I'm told that there's a rocky bit of road between here and my destination, I know that every jolt along the way is a reminder that I'm on the right road. Now, I don't think that we should take that to an extreme, and every time we do something against God and we suffer the consequences, we should just say, well, I must be doing something right. But I do think that when we're following after God and we're trying to follow the, his ways, there's going to be suffering along that road because the fall has wrecked everything. The scripture continues on. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. So the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to, to decay and brought into this glorious freedom of the children of God. We get to be adopted as sons and daughters of the King. We get to be heirs and co-heirs with Christ because of what he has done. See, God pronounced, pronounced all of creation good. And then Adam and Eve wrecked it. And if it wasn't them, it was going to be us and our sin has wrecked it. The children of God exchanged the truth of God's goodness for a lie to follow after their own way. And we constantly do that. That's why we need to be reminded of how great our sin is. So we come running back to God each and every time. The actual uh, Greek word that Paul used for, for uh, I'm sorry, that was used here for bondage 
is the word apocalyptus. You don't have to be a Greek scholar to know that one, do you? It's the word for, that we get apocalypse from. I mean, that's how great the, the sin that's described in the gospel is and the fall that happened afterward is. It's like an apocalypse. And that's why God's salvation that he gives us through Christ is so amazing. Because we were in an apocalypse. That's the way that our lives were outside of Christ. And now we get to experience his joy and his peace, even in the midst of pain, that we get his redemption. As we look at the groanings of creation because of the fall, there's a couple things that you need to know from these scriptures. First, the groaning of creation is temporary. For those of us in, in Christ, even if God does not heal us where we're at here, he, we will be healed for all eternity. Even if God does not get us out of the pain and suffering that we're in here, he's going to for all eternity. And sometimes in his graciousness, he does heal us here on this earth. The groanings of creation are temporary. The groaning of creation is, is a consequence of sin. As we see from the scripture, it was not what God intended. He intended to create a, a perfect world, but because of our sin, we're in the fall. The groaning of creation is a means to an end. There's going to be a redemption of all the earth, the new heavens and the new earth. And it's not just going to be like floating around in a cloud with a harp. We're going to get to experience unbelievable joy, unbelievable peace. He's making all things new. That means there's going to be art and music and sports and all kinds of ways for us to, to relate to each other in new ways in a perfect world. Can you imagine going through life without having any sin in the new heavens and the new earth? We can't even imagine that because sin affects everything. But it's not the final state. No, it's not. We live in a broken world, and we see that brokenness in our relationships. We see that brokenness in our world. We see that brokenness in everything that, that we do. And sometimes we struggle to understand that as the people of God. We struggle to understand uh, why there is suffering with a loving God. And if you don't know the one story of the Bible, it really doesn't make any sense at all, does it? How do you piece together in your mind? There's supposed to be a loving God, but there's lots of suffering in our world. How does that work together? If you don't understand the one story of the Bible, it makes no sense. But if you do understand the one story, it makes perfect sense. My heart goes out to people that don't understand that story at all. And that's why it's so important that we get the story and so important that we share the hope that's in us. I think of uh, the media mogul Ted Turner he said when his sister died of a painful disease, he said, I thought that God was love and powerful. I can't understand how someone so innocent should be made allowed to suffer. Charles Darwin himself said after the death of his beloved daughter Annie, he said, this was the final nail in the coffin for my Christianity. And he took the stand as an unbeliever because he didn't understand the one story of the Bible. And in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of the fall, he didn't understand that there's another chapter, that there is redemption coming. So why do people suffer? As we look around, we see everything that's happening. We see what's happening uh, in the Bahamas with the hurricane. We hear about shootings. We hear about suffering. We hear about pain. Why? Why do people suffer? Well, first, we, we do live in a sin scar world. It's like almost like living in a beautiful garden after the storm. 
We still see glimpses of beauty of God's creation, but it's marred by sin. But it's not what God intended. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and their actions resulted in the punishment that God warned about. And God is just, and he's true, and he fulfilled his promise that if he were going to go against God, that there was going to be sin and death and evil that, that entered the world. And that's exactly what happened. We also suffer for the direct consequences for our sins. We see this all the time in our world. People have sexual immorality and there's STDs. You uh, drink and get behind the wheel of a car. There's consequences for those things when we do things that go against God's word. We also suffer because we're close to those that are involved in sin. Many of you have experienced this with whether it be uh, some form of abuse or addiction in your family, or someone that's close to you. You haven't been the one that's been involved in sin, but you've been directly affected, and you've uh, definitely suffered because someone else was involved. We also suffer as a call to repentance, that sometimes God uses things in our life to draw him closer to him. Sometimes he convicts us in certain areas of our life. Sometimes there's suffering involved because he wants to get our attention to draw us closer to him. And then sometimes we suffer for our faith because there's persecution and there's sacrifice. And in John chapter 9, verse 3, there was a man that had blindness and the disciples assumed that he was blind because he had sinned. We do this a lot in the Christian world. We see someone, they're suffering. We see someone uh, that's struggling and we automatically assume it's because of something they did against God. But Jesus said in this case, neither this man or his parents have sinned that the works of God should be revealed in him. Jesus didn't consider this man's suffering something to be wasted. He used his suffering to point others to him. And sometimes that happens. So in times of our suffering, it's good for us to honor the Lord by trusting in him and knowing that he's going to get us through in this life or the next. Because when we're in the midst of suffering... We're in the midst of the fall, and we still can show people joy. We can still show people happiness. We can still show people peace. You know what an amazing witness that is? Because most people, when, when they're suffering, they want to shake their fists at God. They want to curse God. I mean, that's what Job's friends did, right? They told him to curse God and die. But I believe that the story of Job is in Scripture to, to show us how to work through suffering. That even people that are righteous go through suffering and pain. I mean, even Christ himself would say that, right? I mean, he lived a perfect life, but he suffered a great deal, didn't he? See, we don't have a God that's far away. We don't have a God that's, that's distant. We have a God that's close by. We have a God who is loving, who cares for us. And... Um, Romans chapter 8, verses 23 and 25. It finishes up the scripture here. And it says, But not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all, who hopes for what he already has? But we hope for what we do not yet have, and we wait for it patiently. See, God is 
going to come again in the form of Jesus again. He's going to come and he's going to redeem the world. And that's the hope of glory that we have. In uh, Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 27, it says that, to, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we're not people that are just stuck in our sin. We're not people that are in the midst of our suffering without any hope. No, dear people of God, we have hope in Christ. We have hope in Christ that he's going to work through our suffering, to work through our pain, work through all the things that we're in, that we're in in the sinful world for the sake of his glory. Some of you might be thinking, well, why does it even continue then? Why doesn't Jesus just come again? Well, he doesn't come again yet because he has great mercy for those who don't know him. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Listen, we, we know the story. We know there was a creation. We know that it was marred by sin. We know that there's redemption in Christ now and that Jesus is coming again. But there are 200,000 people in our county that don't know that story. All they see is suffering in our world, and they shake their fist at God. All they see is suffering in the world. All they see is a fallen world, and they have no hope. We have to have a heart for those people because we know the truth. And so this week, ask people what's wrong with the world. Tell them that the fall uh, affected everything. Tell them about the hope that can be found in Christ. Because without it, they're stuck in our sin, and we are too. The fall is like an apocalypse. But Jesus came as a seeking and saving Savior to heal it all. And I'm so thankful that he did. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, to be able to come to your throne of grace, to realize your grace and your mercy and your love for us, that in our sin we get to experience what it's like to be in a sin apocalypse. It's, it's almost impossible to describe with words how difficult and how awful and how, how bad our sin is. But in you we find redemption. In you we find peace. In you we find hope. In you we find eternal life. That we get to trade all that junk for your righteousness because of what you have done. Lord, as we live here in this sinful world, help us to be a people that's on mission. Help us to be people that share the hope that we have. The hope of glory. In Jesus' name, amen.